Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. As we get started, I'm going to tell you, I'm pretty pumped about Easter. But even, listen, today is a fun Sunday to preach. Today is an exciting Sunday to preach. And I want to start off, now I know you guys have kind of been up and down a little bit. Y'all okay standing up and standing down? I'm going to do something to you. We're going to play a game together. It's going to require you to stand if you're physically able. If you're not, you can raise your hand. It's cool. But we're, we're going to play a game because here's what I think. We've we got some visitors with us today. I thought it'd be really cool to learn more about each other, okay? And so this is a big part. So everybody everybody, stand up if you would. And Cameron, would you kind of train in right over here? On that, We're going to play a game called Sit Down If Easter Edition. We did this back at Christmas, but I think it's important we celebrate holidays this way, get to know each other a little bit better. Now let's just start off real easy. This game's called Sit Down If. So if this applies to you, just sit down and let people look at you, all right? Here we go. Let's start off real easy. Sit down if the Easter bunny still comes to your house. Just sit down. Look, look around at those people. Hey, look at them. Still keep. Hey, everybody who's sitting down, look at all the people who are, who are too old, right? They've outgrown the Easter bunny. Okay, good. All right, everybody stand back up. Great job. Great job. Now, here's where it starts getting real, okay? Sit down if you're not a fan of Peep's Easter candy. Stay right there. Here's what I need you to do. I need those of you guys who are standing because you are a fan of Peeps Easter. I want you to put your hands on the shoulders of those sitting down and pray for them. Because here's what blows my mind still this week. How do you not like marshmallows and sugar on them? Anyway, sorry, okay, I, I'm done. My wife bought me this from Ollie's and it's cute. If only it was made out of marshmallow and sugar. Anyway, okay, everybody stand back up. Good, good job. Sit down if you've ever been to a sunrise Easter service. Now, wait a second. Now, everybody who's standing up that's never been to one, the people sitting down are spiritually better than us. More spiritual, they get up early. Anyway, okay, good. Everybody stand up. Just wanted to see the, the spiritual ones. Now, Aaron and I did this at, our, uh, at Valley Grove when we served there, and, and they asked me to play worship for the sunrise service, and I could not feel my fingers. And I remember thinking, why would anybody do this? I love Jesus, but it wasn't sunrise. Anyway, here we go. Here's sit down if. It scares you a little bit to think about a giant bunny in your home at night. Have you ever really thought about the Easter bunny? Sit down. If that just messes with you. It, as a kid, I was good with Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus. It was the giant bunny, knowing that he had to have giant teeth that was coming into my house at night. That was So thank those of you guys who are weird like me. I see all two of you. All right, and then here's the last one. Now we go a little dark here. Sit down if you are a hunter and you would like to see a giant bunny to be in your home on your wall. All right, let's see, the, I see those hunters. See, it just got weird, right? We just went dark. Everybody sit down if you would. Man, good job playing this game. It just went to a little dark place there at Easter. Let's try to redeem this. I love crowd games. I, I love when there's a crowd around, more than likely, there's gonna be some fun that is going to be had by a crowd of people. You ever been to a movie? that you watched by yourself and thought, this is terrible. But for some reason, you start inviting your friends to come and you start laughing. Napoleon Dynamite was that movie for me. I watched it by myself and thought, I I'm actually less smart. My, my IQ just dropped. But then my buddies get there and we watch that movie. Man, we were cracking up, pushing on each other. I just love when crowds, this crowd mentality gets together and people get on the same board, on the same place. You ready? 
We find that in scripture today. We find a, a certain crowd in scripture as people gather together. And here's what they were bought into, you ready? They were bought into the idea of Jesus being their king. And, and listen, they weren't playing games. There were no games to be played, no games to be had there. But they were living it up. They were partying down. The king was coming. But before we look at today's passage, I want to celebrate the truth from last week, found here in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. And remember what it says here, that Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. One of my favorite parts of scripture is the God we serve is the God of the impossibility. Now the context here in Matthew chapter 19 was salvation was salvation, but it's a reminder to us that there is nothing too impossible for our God. And as we turn to Matthew chapter 21, and, and that's where we're camping out this morning, I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn there. As we turn there, I want to say this. I'm convinced that we live a life, that we live in a community, that we live in a world that is surrounded by impossibilities. Impossibilities are all around us. But the God we serve is the very God who uses the impossible as the stage upon which he displays his glory and his might all throughout history, all in the Bible and in and through our lives. You see, the God we serve is a God that can. Is a God that can. So as you turn to Matthew chapter 21, I want us to talk just for a moment about the context of Matthew chapter 21. Where are we? Well, Jesus is making his way. He's on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Now, remember where Jerusalem is, right? It is ground zero for Jesus saving the world through a cross and an empty grave. And, and Jesus is on the outskirts of this city. This Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, is the Sunday we traditionally call Palm Sunday. Never liked the name, but it's called Palm Sunday. Never really had much for the name. It's called Palm Sunday. And here's what we know when it comes to Palm Sunday, that this event's recorded, in fact, in all of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John make much of this event of Jesus coming triumphantly into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And we know this, that Jesus, as he heads into Jerusalem, he's gonna do something. He's gonna celebrate the Passover feast with his disciples. Now, it's important for you and I to know that Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the Passover feast, that that very feast throughout the Old Testament points to Jesus, and now he goes in his last days to celebrate that with his disciples. I heard the story of a little boy, man, faithfully went to church, but it was Palm Sunday and he woke up sick, had a little fever. And so he stayed at home with his mom on Palm Sunday. And his daddy came back, and his daddy came back from church, and he was holding one of these palm branches. And the little boy said, Daddy, what's that in your hand? He said, well, son, it's, it's a palm branch. And the little boy said, a palm branch? Why do you have a palm branch? Why don't you get a palm branch at church? And he said, well, because when Jesus came into town, the people would wave palm branches at him. And, and so today they gave us a palm branch at, at church today little boy dropped his head, got a little upset. He said, seriously, dad, the one Sunday I miss church and Jesus shows up, right? The one Sunday 
I miss church and Jesus shows up. Hey, here's, here's the truth of scripture, what I'm so grateful for, what I'm so thankful for. The passage in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, that says this, for, and this is Jesus speaking, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And as we gather today, he is not only here with us, but he resides in us through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so what we wanna do is we wanna begin to learn more about this king that is so celebrated in Matthew chapter 21. So let's take a look at verse one this morning. Watch this, it says this, as they, meaning Jesus and the disciples, as they approached Jerusalem. Now now I wanna stop for just a moment. I wanna say a word about Jerusalem. Psalm 48 verses one through two reminds us this about Jerusalem. That Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Man, isn't that fitting for Jesus? The city of the the great king. How fitting is it that the king of all kings now approaches that city? And the Bible says that, and they came to Bethphage, which is on the Mount of Olives. Now, let me tell you something about this location, which is unique. Bethphage is about 3,000 feet above sea level. In fact, where Jesus was coming into the Mount of Olives, he would have been able to overlook Jerusalem. And not only just Jerusalem, but specifically the temple area. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because Jesus is at this moment overlooking the very place where most of Easter would take place. Jesus is now standing above the city over the temple area and he looks down and he begins to see where he would be falsely accused and arrested. Where he would be tortured and beaten. Where he would be crucified and killed within a matter of just days. I just wonder what went through his heart and his mind. Has he overlooked that area? The Bible says that they came and they approached him. This is where they, they hung out just for a few minutes. Now, I wanna, I wanna note this before we go on into the latter part of verse one and verse two. You know, I thought about this, that we live in a time where people run from things that are hard where everyone seems to have an excuse or an out from the promises and commitments they've made. If it doesn't make me happy, I'm out. I'm not doing it. But here's what I jotted down. I'm glad that Jesus was brave enough and strong enough not to run from Jerusalem, but to ride into Jerusalem. I'm glad that he had no excuses, only an action plan to save the world. I'm glad he had no outs because where he placed himself was right in the middle of the very will of God. You know what challenges me? As a believer to be brave enough, strong enough, selfless enough to make sure I keep my commitments and my promises. That's what Jesus did for us. And look, as the Bible goes on and teaches us in the latter part of verse one and verse two, that Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, right? Mama donkey, baby donkey, here we go. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. You know what I love about this? Jesus name drops himself. You ever been around somebody who's a name dropper? Lord have mercy. But I love this. Jesus is the only one who could do so, and it makes sense and it seems right. He name drops himself. And you know what this is a reminder to me of? That Jesus owns it all. That Jesus knows all, that he sees all, and that he has power over all. Hey church, that's some kind of king. And we see that even here 
in this conversation with the disciples. Now, I want to go back to the donkey thing, because this, this is kind of the weird part of the text to me. They make a big deal of this, right? Every other author talks about this donkey. And we go, what's the big deal with Eeyore, right, in the story? Like, why, why do we care so much about the donkey? Now, in verse 2, he wants, to, he wants them to get a donkey, now, this wasn't normal for a king who was entering into Jerusalem. Oftentimes, a king coming victorious off of battle would enter into Jerusalem riding on a horse, riding on a horse after conquering men, nations and empires and armies. But Jesus wants a donkey. You know, a, a horse was a symbol of, of conquering and war. But even in biblical history, the donkey was a symbol of of peace, and especially that of a cult. It's, it's reminiscent of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, his description of Jesus some 700 years before Jesus was to be born, and that was that he would be the prince of peace. And so don't just think things happen, but they happen for a reason, and they happen as part of God's great plan. Now watch this, and the Bible tells us more about this in verse 4. As Matthew writes, he says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter of Zion, by the way, daughter of Zion, just speaks to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everybody. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I love the word in there. Do you see it? Fulfill. It's come to fulfill what has been spoken. Now listen, Bible scholars come together and they look at the vast history of the Bible and here's what they've concluded, that hundreds of years before Jesus is born, that there are over 300 prophecies that were recorded to tell of his coming, to tell of his life and his journey to the cross and Jesus fulfilled them all, especially the prophecies that spoke to his powerful resurrection. And Jesus fulfilled them all. But the donkey... And the cult. You know, we read this in Matthew, and Matthew mentions too, it mentions the mama donkey and the baby donkey. No other account does that. And so a lot of people throughout history say, see, the Bible contradicts itself when, when there's no contradiction at all. It's just Matthew makes a point of practicality. Matthew expounds on details the others didn't seem very important, but Matthew does, because here's what we know. That the mom of a young donkey, a young colt, Oftentimes accompanied that cult as it was learning how to take on passengers or take on loads. Why? Because the presence of the mama helped calm that little cult down. Imagine this, that this cult would carry the very king of kings and the lord of lords into a city that was celebrating his arrival. Imagine the noise. Imagine the sights. Imagine the sounds that this cult had never, ever experienced. And so we find a uh, we find this mama walking alongside its baby. You know, I, I, I don't raise donkeys. <laughs> um, I think I know what they look like, right? Because Winnie the Pooh, there's the depressed donkey, right? I, I know how all this works. And, but here's what I know. Man, my kids are upset. You know who the first person they cry for is? His mama. I mean, they just have a calming factor. And, and we see that here in this passage. And what Matthew does is he draws upon this very event to remind us of what Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says. You ready? And by the way, after the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed in verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And the question becomes why? Because watch what it fulfills. Generations before Jesus would ever come, Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. 
What's amazing is here, Matthew's careful to show us that this is not just some, some happenstance that takes place, but that God had orchestrated all of history for just this very moment. I love this description in Zechariah Matthew of the king that was coming. He was righteous and victorious, and hear me, Jesus was. But the crowd that surrounded the streets that day, for them, Jesus was not who they hoped he'd be. Jesus wasn't who they'd hoped he'd be. You see, the king they were looking for was not one who would free them from our sins, but one who would free them from their oppression from Rome, that they sought economic, political, religious, and personal freedom from Rome and hoped that Jesus would be such a leader and such a warrior. Hear me, conquering Rome was far too easy for Jesus. The enemy Jesus faced was far more formidable than the Roman Empire. As we look to this crowd that day that would welcome Jesus into Jerusalem, here's what we understand. The king the people wanted him to be, Jesus wasn't. Imagine that. They'd hoped for one thing and he wasn't. Jesus wasn't the king they wanted. You see, oftentimes we want Jesus to, to be a genie in the bottle, granting every wish. We want him to be a, a token of faith to get us out of, of hell free, but not enough of Jesus to change our lives. But hear me, that is not this king. Jesus may not be the king that the people wanted him to be. But I want you to hear me, church. Jesus is the king that every person needs him to be. May not have been the king they wanted, but he was and he is the king they needed. You see, he came not to conquer empires, but to conquer sin. His victory was not political. Rather, his victory was over death, hell, and the grave. He didn't send men into battle to secure his victory. His victory was purchased by his own blood, his own sacrifice. He did for us what no earthly king could do, and that is to save us forever. And the crowd missed it that day. But watch what takes place. Very large crowds spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Man, the whole picture here is that of celebration and honor, reminiscent of, of intertestamental times even, where a welcome and triumph king was welcomed and celebrated in the city. You find it interesting that they spread their cloaks on the road? It was pretty common practice when a, a conquering king came back in the town. What they would do is they would, they would throw their cloaks on the road to make a carpet. In a sense, we are rolling out the red carpet first century style for Jesus. And that's exactly what they were doing. I look at this and it says that they had palm branches. And here's what they did with them. They, they laid down the palm branches to create a carpet for Jesus, but they were also waving these. So all along the streets of Jerusalem where Jesus was entering, they were waving palm branches at him. And this is unique. You see, some 200 years before this event, the ancient Greeks had, had sought to, to capture Jerusalem. 
But there was something called the Maccabean Revolt that took place. And these men were able to push the ancient Greeks out of Jerusalem and out of the temple area. It was a huge victory. In fact, Hanukkah is celebrated from this day. Why? Because all they had was a day's supply of oil. But God miraculously let that one day's supply of oil last for eight days. It's where we get Hanukkah from. That Maccabean Revolt 200 years ago before this event in Scripture. But here's what we find. That it was through that event that in Jewish history that the palm branches being waved were a sign of freedom and independence. In fact, if you were to look at every Jerusalem coin coming from the Jewish people at that time, every coin we found, all of them had palm branches on them. It was a symbol of freedom, of liberation, of independence. And you know what's amazing? That if you were to go to the streets of Jerusalem and Rome were to take some action against the people's freedoms, that before Jesus and after Jesus, you know what the Jewish people would do? They would head out to the streets and they would wave their palms and they would say, we want freedom from wrong. Now, let me give you just a, uh, a quick caveat. Let me warn you. The next time your spouse is oppressive or the next time your boss may be oppressive to you, I, I don't want you to take this into action, right? I don't want you to go cut down some palm branches, start waving them, and crying out, freedom, freedom, and Hosanna to the high. It's just not going to work, right? It's just going to make you look a little silly. But it was anything but silly that day to the people who were experiencing so much under the Roman Empire. In fact, look at their inscription, Hosanna. Hosanna, what does that word mean? Well, you break that word down, and here's what it simply means. God, save us, please. It is a cry saying that nobody can save us, but God, would you please save us? And even then, all they wanted was freedom from Rome. Yet Jesus came to give them freedom, freedom from far greater enemy than Rome, our sin. But here's what happens. In a matter of days, some in the crowd went from celebrating him as their king on Sunday to shouting cries of, of crucify him as a criminal on Friday. Others, such as the disciples who walked with him triumphantly into Jerusalem, ran from him tragically in Gethsemane's garden. I look at this crowd and we're not exactly sure who all was there or the crowds make up entirely. But we know that the crowd that so adored him on this day abandoned him on Friday. Because here's our glimpse into Friday, you ready? Of this coming week. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. And they all answered. Talk about crowd mentality. Here we go. They all answered, crucify him. Why, Pilate says, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. I'm going to tell you something. This is appalling to me. This whole scene, the duplicity of, of this crowd, it just appalls my very heart. You know why? Because I see that very same tendency in me. I see it in, in my heart and my life. And sometimes it doesn't take days like it did with this crowd. But a matter of moments. Here's what I mean. One moment I celebrate Jesus as king of my life and, and by my sin and my rebellion. And another moment I shout out, crucify him. In one moment I proudly follow him. And in the next it seems I run from him. In one moment I adore him. And at times it seems like in the next moment I abandon him with my lack of faith. 
But it doesn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be that way for that crowd, and it doesn't have to be that way for us believers. Because here's what we understand of God, you ready? That God can fix the appalling in us. I look at that crowd, I'm so appalled because I see that crowd in me. But when I look to God, I recognize the God I serve can fix every appalling way inside of me. But here's the question I wonder as we look at this crowd. How do we continually celebrate him in our lives as king and lessen the sin and the rebellion that cries out, crucify him? How do we follow him and stop running from him? How do we adore him instead of abandoning him day by day? You ready? We do it by remembering who this king is. In verse 10, watch what the Bible says. It says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Now, I wanna wanna stop on that word stirred for a minute. It's where we get the English word from the Greek seismic. It's where we get the word seismic. It deals with earthquakes and the earth shaking. You know what's amazing? As Jesus heads into Jerusalem, man, the whole city is shaking and is stirred up because Jesus is in town. And hey, and they were missing who he was. How much more should this place be on on a Sunday morning? When we come to celebrate Jesus, how much more stirred and how much more shaken should this place be because Jesus is meeting here with us. I look at this crowd, the very crowd that is stirred about Jesus is coming. And I find a case of this, you ready? I find a case of mistaken identity. Tragically, they missed out on who this king really was. A case of mistaken identity. They hoped for one thing, and yet Jesus found himself to be another. He was nothing of what they had hoped him to be. But yet the city was stirred. The city was shaken by Jesus being there. And it says this, that when he entered the whole city, they asked, who was this? Who is this king? And I I love this question. Who is this king? Because when the temptation to sin against our king arises, believer, we must be reminded who this is. And because he is king, here's what the Bible teaches us. Because he is king, I am the son of a king. Hey, ladies, hear me. You are the daughter of the king. And that changes everything. It moves us from rebellion to relationship. It moves us from sin to serving Jesus as king in our lives. You know, here's what it does, church. When we ask the question, who is this? And we answer with the king that Jesus really is. It takes us to the place where we are reminded not who we are, but whose we are. And that is King Jesus. Here's what I want to be reminded of. You ready? That that day they wanted a king that would conquer their enemies, but our king came so that we could love our enemies. They wanted a king who would defeat Rome, but our king came to destroy sin. They wanted a king to save the day, but our king came to save our souls for all of eternity. They wanted a king to restore their kingdom, but our king came to build his kingdom. They wanted a king that they could coronate, but our king adorned a crown of thorns and was crucified on a criminal's cross. They wanted a king who could rise to power, but our king 
rose from the grave because he had all power. He wasn't the king they wanted, but hear me, he was the king they needed. He was, they wanted a king of the possible, and Jesus is and forever will be the king of the impossible. And that's what we find as we look to this crowd that day. So the question I ask you this, this morning, who is this king? The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. 
and I love it. And here's the reminder that we find from a crowd that day, church. Gosh, if this was the devil, I'd just kick him off. Anyway, after listening to that video, hear, hear me. Here's what we're reminded. That even that day, Jesus was not the king they'd hoped him to be. He, he wasn't the king they were looking for. But he was exactly the king they needed. And church family, I want to remind you today that, that our culture likes to make a lot of things out of Jesus. At times, we try to fashion Jesus into our own image. We like to make him the foundation of political causes or political statements and things like this. We like to make Jesus into a lot of things he's not. But hear me, when you get to him, when you start recognizing who this king truly is, what he truly stands for, and what he came to do, here's what we begin to see. That he may not have been the king that we hoped for, but our hopes were set way low. He may not have been the king that we wanted, but he was the king of far more than we could ever ask for. Jesus is the king that every lost person within the sound of my voice, you need him. That every believer in this room today, you need him. And as we march towards Easter Sunday, as we celebrate Jesus rising from the grave, as we mourn, the price paid for our sin on the cross this week, we are reminded, who is this king? That through faith, he's my king, and he's yours. Hey, believer, if this story appalls you as much as it does me, man, let's just join the club, and let's trust the God that can fix the appalling places in our heart and our life. You know what this exposes? It exposes sometimes our hypocrisy, our, our duplicity. It exposes the weaknesses, believer, in our lives that we want, we want God to change. We got, want God to work in. I look at the crowd. They celebrated him one moment and cried, crucify him in another. They're not that different from us. And we pray, God, forgive us. And we recognize that God can fix that in us. I, I look at the disciples who walked triumphantly into Jerusalem with them. Yet they tragically deserted Jesus in Gethsemane's garden. Man, how many days do I walk strong in Christ only to be followed by a day where I accomplish little to nothing for him? God can fix that appalling nature in me. I think of the crowd, and though we don't know exactly who all was there, I know that on Sunday they lined the streets, and I know that on Friday they were nowhere to be found. I know that on Sunday they adored him as he came in, but by Friday they all had abandoned him. And I see that nature in my life. Or as long as things are easy and good, it's easy for me to adore him. But when things don't go so well, or sin so easily entangles, I'm far too quick in my life to abandon him. You know what? God can fix that appalling nature of my life. And here's the way, you ready? You remind yourself in those days, who is this king? Who is this king? 
and let who he is determine that you are a son and a daughter of the king. And that because of that, that you can live your life in honor and glory to our king. And so believer, you ready? Just as Jesus had no excuse and no out, just as Jesus was strong and brave to face whatever was thrown his way as he went in Jerusalem, because he is our king, because he resides in us, you and I can be the same. We can walk out of this place into our families, in this community, in our workplaces, in our schools. We can walk strong. We can walk brave. Why? Because he's our key. We can walk without excuses, without outs. Why? Because he's our king and he took none of them. And so my challenge to the believer is to go into your marriage, go into your friendships, go into your parenting, to go into your workplace, to go into the schools, to go in this community. And let people, by looking at your life and hearing your words, begin to ask the question, who is this king that you are following? Because he makes all the difference in the world. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.